0: We are in a Christmas series called For Unto You, and we are rooting it in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, which reads, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. We have been honing in on each individual word, and I don't know about you, but one thing that I am finding myself more and more and more overwhelmed with is that you and I have the distinguished honor and privilege of being carriers of the heart of God. That we get to be carriers every day of not just the name of Jesus, but of the message of the gospel that has been entrusted to you and entrusted to me. And today we're gonna look at the word Christ. Last week we looked at the word Savior, how for Jesus Help can be found in the natural, but only hope can be found in the supernatural. But again, today we're gonna hone in on that word Christ, which means anointed or separate, or to be to be set apart, anointed. And the central question I wanna talk to you for a few minutes this morning about is this, is what do we do when promise comes in a package that we can so easily overlook? If you have ever been a child or around children, they do very similar things at Christmas time. in particular when opening gifts. They will pick up a gift, and they will squeeze it. And in the squeezing, they are trying to figure out, does it feel like a toy or underwear? And if it feels soft, they are deeply appreciative, though they don't show it. They will put it back. And they will leave that gift for later, and they will pick up another that feels more that which their heart would desire. They will squeeze it, and then they'll go, oh, okay, that, 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 that's kind of the one I want. How many of you know the older you get, all you hope for is there would be one thing under that tree for you. <laughs> it's just how it works. Lori and I made a decision uh, long ago when we first got married that we're not going to buy each other gifts at Christmas. A, I think it's one of the smartest decisions that I've ever made. But B, no, because we love to be a blessing to other people at Christmas. And so it's just a wonderful thing. The older you get, you, you, you don't want to find the hard gifts because you know those are sweets. And so you move towards the, the soft gifts just praying because I got to replace some socks, man. They're in bad shape. So <laughs> life changes. It changes as we, get, as we get older. To those of you who are parents of young kids, I have all teenagers, and it's amazing. It truly is. But to those of you who are parents of young kids who get up at ungodly hours, can I just just give you a word of advice? Don't rush to be through this season and into another season. Savor every season that you find yourself in. Because the days may be long. Christmas, you know, you may go to bed at 2 and get up at 4. Or you may not go to bed at all. The days are long, but the years are short. Treasure each of those moments. How many know that life is beautiful, but man, is it fragile? And it can go quick. There are traditions and certain things that can change. And so for your heart and for your life, see what it is and anchor within it. This Christmas, I want to take you back to the Old Testament to bring you to the new. I want to take you back to someone by the name of Joshua so that we can get to Jesus. And the reason why I want to do that this morning is specific. It's because I fear that some of us may lose a little bit of awe in the busyness or perceived busyness of life. We may lose a sense of awe that we get to be carriers of the name of God that we get to freely invite people to know Christ into a relationship with him. That this move of God that we're in is not based on one person or two people, it is based on all of us being the hands and feet and eyes and heart of Jesus to those around us. It is you and I waking up every day with sense of mission and purpose, saying that I am a carrier of the heart of God. And if you're anything like me, the moment I say those words, the next ones that come up to the surface would be feelings of inadequacy. Feelings of, well, maybe you should pick someone who's more has a, has a greater intellect or a bigger heart capacity or leadership capacity or who gets this quicker or who didn't do X, Y, Z in their past. But what I wanna show you today, through God's word, is that there is nobody in Scripture that is overlooked. There is nobody in Scripture whose life is incidental in the story of God. That every single one of us have a divine part and purpose to play. Yes, yeah, some of us, it looks different than others, but that's not the point of it. The point of it is that we are obedient and that somewhere along the line that we trust God with the pen and allow him to begin to write the story of our life. That somewhere along the lines we trust God with the pen, that it may not change the history, but it can change the perspective of how you see what was when you see how God still uses your life. I wanna bring you to a city called Jericho this morning. To a man by the name of Joshua, who again we're gonna look at his life throughout the whole month of February together. In fact, I want to bring you back a little further because God makes a promise to a man named Abraham, and they have a son of promise named Isaac, and this son is going to become a family and then a family nation, and then a nation, a a people group, the children of Israel, and they're chosen people. Gentiles, we get grafted in a little bit later. But on the way to the promised land, on the way to the promised land, there are spies that discover that it is exactly how it's been described. It is an amazing parcel of land flowing with milk and honey, only it's occupied And in the promised land, there's a city by the name of Jericho, which represents the impossibility. It is an impossibly fortified city. In other words, there is nothing that the children of Israel can do in and of themselves against this city. It's too big. It's too bad. It's too big. It's too fortified. It's too all of those things. Because if they just look at who they are and what they have, it is insufficient But if they will root themselves not in who they are and what they have, but in whose they are and who they have, then the thing that is impossible, which for them was Jericho, in a moment you'll hear it referenced, becomes possible. In 2019, we have many impossibilities. We are more polarized seemingly than ever before. We, are, we use our words as weapons, sometimes more than ever before, or at least from my perspective, which could be flawed, but it seemingly is this way. It seems as though, you, again, as I say often, that if you want to say anything today, you have to take nine minutes to say what you're not saying in order to take 30 seconds to say what you're trying to say, and then 30 seconds to apologize if you said it wrong. And we wonder why we can make no progress. And there are many impossibilities. And here's what I want you to know. God has called each and every one of us to be alive at this time for such a time as this. And it's not our inadequacies and insecurities, and it's not looking in. The message of Christmas is have the courage to look up. Have the courage to see not just the Jericho metaphorically, the impossibilities, the impossible situations in front of your life, but it's to see the God who is present. And God today, I'm here to let you know, still is in the business of impossibilities. Even though we may have disappointments along the way, even though we may get discouraged when we want God to zig and he zags, he is still in the business of impossibilities. Why? Because he has forever declared himself to be the name above every other name. Haven't you noticed that destiny is always a wrestle? It's never a vacation. We have this fallacy in our culture today that when I discover my purpose, then everything in my life is gonna click in, almost as though when I discover this purpose, then, man, oh man, it's like, now I've got it all figured out. Are you kidding me? When you discover your purpose or your calling or why you have been created, that's where the battle begins because it's not a vacation. It's this wrestle inch by inch to see God do what only he can do. And so Joshua sends out two men to view this land. And again, between where they are and where they want to go is this city called Jericho. And it's impossibly fortified outside of a move of God. And as they arrive in the city, God has already prepared provision in the midst of the impossibility. How good is our God? Here's the thing, though. Who God has prepared is a package nobody would have saw it coming. Let me read it. Joshua 2, verses 1 to 4. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim, unfortunate name for a town. Now, understandably, in Hebrew, it wouldn't sound that way. In English, however, unfortunate name for a town. The 13-year-old boy in me can't do this with a straight face. Saying, Go view the land. I'm going to keep going, okay? Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house. Listen, listen, listen. They went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. And they lodged there. Turn to the person beside you and go, Really? And it was told the king of Jericho Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Verse eight, dropping down. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. So they're up on the roof. They're not in the house. They're up on the roof and said to the men, here's what Rahab begins to say. Rahab, who we just saw a moment ago, her name and her profession at this time is Rahab the prostitute. I know that the Lord has given you the land. So Rahab, the prostitute, who is not in the children of Israel, already has a sense of what God's going to do. I know the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of the Lord or the fear of you has fallen on us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and, um, and what you did to the kings, the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction "'And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, "'and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. "'For the Lord your God, "'He is God in heavens above and on the earth beneath.'" Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours. Then, when the Lord gives us the land, when the Lord does the impossible, when the Lord does what he said he would do, when that happens, we will deal kindly with you and faithfully with you. So here are two spies in an impossible situation. Out of all the houses in the city, they show up at Rahab, the prostitute's house. But things are not as they appear on the surface. Yes, this is her history. Yes, this is what she's doing. But this isn't all she is. And in this moment, she seizes it. And I am sure I'm not stretching an understanding here. I'm sure that in her family's understanding, Rahab the prostitute would not become Rahab the redeemer. But how many of you know that God uses different people than we would often use? God sees things differently than we often see. So what do you do when a promise comes in a package that we can so easily Overlook. As I said a moment ago, I'm sure Rahab wasn't the one who the family thought that God would use to potentially deliver, or as a deliverer for her family. And then as it sometimes does, the impossible happens. Jericho falls. And Rahab and her entire family are vulnerable, absolutely vulnerable. And the word of the two spies to Rahab was, because of the kindness that you have shown to us, we will in turn repay kindness to you. And the scriptures say, in Joshua chapter six, verse 25, but Rahab, everyone say, but Rahab. Rahab. It says, but Rahab the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her or in her family, Joshua saved alive. And she lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Isn't it interesting that in the midst of peril, God had already provided provision. The only thing is it came in a package that I'm not sure everybody would have been ready for. Everybody else would have chosen that for many people they would have just overlooked. No, I'm not comparing her lifestyle to your lifestyle. But here's where I would draw a comparison is I've never met one person perfectly qualified to be a carrier of the heart of God. In fact, if we're all honest, there are things in all of our past, there may be even things in our present today that can be disqualifiers. And those are things that sure we need to repent of and and own and engage with our whole hearts because grace is not something that Grace is not just, I ask for forgiveness, to continue to do what I want to do. That's The Bible doesn't say that's grace. That's actually called trampling it underfoot. No, grace is when you and I, with awe and wonder, receive this gift of forgiveness and that from our hearts we turn from and we turn to the purpose that God has for our hearts and lives. But I don't know one follower of Jesus that wakes up every morning saying, God, thank the world that I have awoken today. Your gift is here. And if you do, E is the only word I have. Wow. There is something that as followers of Jesus, though, that we are prone to that is a problem, and it is this. We often mistake spectacular things for supernatural things. And if it isn't spectacular, it's not supernatural. Sometimes that can lead us to believe erroneously this. Well, I don't really have a good testimony. Like there are people with wow testimonies and then there's like my story, right? Like there's like, there are people with stories, man, and they're just, they're like, Oh my gosh, God did what? God spoke to me in the night. And you heard him? Yes. And you lived to tell the tale? What did he say? And then they say it, and you're like, oh my gosh. And then there's the rest of us who just like stumbled through the dark There are people with stories of how God set them free of drugs and alcohol, or this or that, or like Rahab. Spectacular, and they are spectacular stories. But follower of Jesus, who God loves with his whole heart, can I tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a spectacular testimony. You were dead, and God made you alive. It may not feel spectacular, but it is. Because if you're thinking like, well, well, I just grew up in church, that means nothing. You can know every message, every lyric, every line, everything quoted, you can know all of it and spend eternity in hell. Growing up in church means nothing. It is not in church in which we are saved, it is in Christ alone alone. And at some point, you and I have to give God the pen, open our heart, whatever metaphor you want to use. And in that moment, your testimony is not all the stuff you did before. Your testimony is in what Jesus has done for you. You see, Rahab's story only takes prominence when God does for Jericho what she couldn't do. But what Rahab does is this I can do and then I can trust God. She's under Old Covenant, Old Testament. You and I in Jesus, it's different. 1 Samuel 16 verse seven says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We as a culture, we look at outward appearance and we we look at two things. We look at outward appearance and we look at output. And based on those two things, we define success. And God's metrics of success is totally different. He looks at surrender. And then He looks at steps of faith for you and I to engage. You see, you weren't weren't only given a testimony, you weren't only given a gift of salvation. You and I became carriers of the gospel, carriers of the heart of God. And there are some of you, some of us, but some of you, who because maybe you've been overlooked so many times, overlooked, 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 that that, that creating a syndrome, that then you just keep looking others to do what God has asked you to do. And it can be very, very simple, like inviting someone to Christmas Eve. There's something that happens every Christmas Eve, and it's not unique to me, nor is it unique to this church. And it's been happening in every Christmas Eve service, in every church, since the birth of the church. Ministers have an opportunity to go to the door and shake hands, and it's a blur, so it's easy to be overlooked because it's moving quick. And there are some of you, though, who take the opportunity, and you don't care about the line that's forming behind you. They care. (laughs) Now, you not so much. And this is what you say. You're standing here. There is somebody here shaking a hand, and you're behind going, that's my dad that's my grandfather, that's my boss, what are you saying in that moment? Don't screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> be yourself, but not that self. Like, be, like, don't be the, don't be the Joshua 2.4, like, reading the, the, the town of Shittim part. Don't be that guy right now. Like, be this guy right now. Okay, like, got it. But here's the truth, here's the truth. What are you really saying in that moment? God, would you do the impossible in my dad's life? God, would you do the impossible in my grandfather's life? God, would you do the impossible in my son's life, in my daughter's life? God, would you do the impossible in my aunt's life, my uncle's life, my neighbor's life, my co-worker's life? God, they are like Jericho. Their heart is fortified. It's impossible. But God, you are the God of the impossible. And church, I want you to know that for every single person that you in invest- Fight. today, in this service, next service, on Christmas Eve, we are believing that 84 one day can become 94, can become 104, can become 114, 134. We don't want to limit God at all. Why? Because God still uses people who get up every day and feel unqualified, but root their confidence not in their own qualifications, but in Christ who anoints and sets apart. Christ means anointed one, one set apart. And this, this Christmas, may I remind you of your difference, not your better than this, but your difference as a follower of Jesus. Again, your history is whatever comes before you gave your life to Christ, but your testimony is in the anointed one, and it's not us, Christ the Lord. Many years ago, Charles Spurgeon said this, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. Don't erase your history. Let God redeem it. Let God anoint it. Let Him set you apart for a greater heavenly influence. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says that we are the fragrance of Christ. We are the fragrance of Christ, to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to another a fragrance from life to life, who is sufficient for these things, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in what? We speak in Christ. Christ. You know, it's interesting if I go back a little bit. It's been said that an author has about 500 to 1,000 words if they're writing a book to capture our attention. And that if they don't capture our attention in that 500 to 1,000 words, the chances of us finishing a book are pretty low. Um, turn the person beside you and say, what's a book? <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's digital. Um, okay, pause, and then I'm going to jump back in. To the little rabbit trail. We're going to come right back there are these amazing things you can subscribe to called like Blinkist or like where they take a book and they write like a, a synopsis of it. And so that, which is like 200 pages, they, they, they cut out all the fluff and it's like three pages. So Lori and I were reading a marriage book together. She was reading the book and I read the Blinkist version and I was like, done, it felt really good. That's a side note. But I heard somebody say the other day, I wonder if they could ever get like a Blinkist for articles and, and I lost a little hope in humanity because if, if we don't have the, the attention span of 500 to 1,000 words, if we need that condensed, turn the person beside you and say, we need saving. <laughs> like, if you, like if you can't get through a YouTube article, or not, I don't think YouTube has articles, they're more videos, I'm a bit of a moron right there, but if, if you can't get through, okay, if you can't get, how many of you notice devotionals are getting shorter and shorter? Like, we're gonna go right back to our daily bread, which is this little loaf of bread you just pick up. like, it fits on a card this big, but that's all it is. But an author has 500 to 1,000 words with which to really grab your attention. What does Rahab have anything to do with Christmas? Well, let me take you to Matthew chapter one, because there's an author named Matthew who wanted to grab people's attention. And if you were Jewish this would have grabbed your attention. In the lineage of Jesus, guess whose name we find? It's not your trick question, R- Rahab. <laughs> Stephen, Gordon, Hezekiah. Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of a shepherd boy by the name of David, the king. If the single prophecy about Jesus coming from the lineage of David was incorrect, it would cast doubt and dispersion on whether Jesus was the true Messiah. Here's a beautiful truth, that your testimony is when God saves your life. Here's the equal truth. Before, when you were just doing your own thing, unaware that God was working, he was still working. Why? Because before the foundations of the world, when you were in your mother's womb, God knew you and had a purpose for your life, that you are never an overlooked one to Jesus. Sometimes moments of anointing or being set apart, they come in a big step of significance. Like today, you can invite somebody and that small card moment can make a jesus size difference. It can come to them opening up their heart by praying a prayer. But sometimes steps of significance can actually seem insignificant at the time. But give God time, and more importantly this year, give Him a gift of trust. And you will see that what can sometimes seem like a small step can actually become quite a pivotal piece in your story. This Christmas, don't let the busy rob the merry. Don't let the purchasing of presents cause you to miss your purpose. You and I are carriers of the gospel of the heart of God for such a time as this. Because sometimes promise comes in a package that we can easily overlook. Luke 2 verse 7 says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. And there were some who took notice that day But most of the world was just going about their business unaware that everything had changed. In 2019, most people are going about their business as though nothing has changed. And you and I are carriers of the heart of God to introduce them them, to the one who can change everything Christmas is a good time to remind us it isn't the package, but it's the power of the promise inside which matters most. Don't disqualify yourself from God writing a grander story with your life. Have courage to give him the pen. And maybe, just maybe, our history can be Rahab the prostitute, but our destiny can be Rahab the deliverer in the lineage of Jesus. May Jesus give us eyes to see promise. May he give us the courage to trust his anointing on our lives to make a Jesus-sized difference. My father posted something this week that I thought was quite significant. There were those who were wise who gave gifts to Jesus of gold, of frankincense, and myrrh. Gold for a king. Turn the person beside you and say, gold's a good gift. Gold, because he was a king. Frankincense, because he was a priest. But myrrh, that's a weird gift, because you know what myrrh represents? Myrrh is a burial spice. So I want you to imagine Jesus's parents. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's a reminder that even in the midst of the message of Christmas that our king, King Jesus, is a king unlike any other king because sometimes the most powerful things come in packages that we can easily overlook. Don't miss Christ in the midst of Christmas.